0: Dios les bendiga en esta mañana, uh, usted trae su Biblia en español, voy a invitar a abrir en el libro de Jeremías capítulo 51, un día la lengua ya no va a ser barrera, ya no va a ser obstáculo, un día estaremos en el cielo con una sola idioma, una sola lengua, gloria al Señor. Jeremías capítulo 51 versículo 17 y 18 vamos a leerlos juntos estos dos versículos. Jeremías capítulo 51, versículo 17 y versículo 18. Dice la palabra así: todos juntos. Todo hombre se ha infatuado y no tiene ciencia. Se avergüenza todo artícife de su escultura, porque mentira es su ídolo, no tiene espíritu. Vanidad son, obra digna de burla, en el tiempo del castigo perecerán. We're right, looking at Jeremiah
1: 51 verses 17 and 18. All mankind is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. Amen. Thank you. Perhaps it'd been a while if you'd read those words in Jeremiah. Perhaps... Maybe you hadn't ever read it, or maybe the translation that you're reading from does not translate it stupid, but um, I would guess that maybe many of you, like me, were caught off guard when you saw that word in the Bible. All mankind is stupid. When I read that, I chuckled because I thought instantly, maybe that's just a harsh translation and maybe the the translators of the New American Standard Bible that I read from were using a little bit extreme but it served its purpose because it got my attention it served its purpose because it woke me up because I'm part of mankind I'm part of of the group of people the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to, part of the group of people that he refers to as stupid or ignorant, uh, that he refers to as devoid of knowledge, part of people who are being mocked by our own idolatry. When I read that, it struck home. In fact, Two weeks ago when I announced this message, I warned you church, this would be a tough message. This is a difficult subject to tackle because idolatry is such a prevalent, pervasive part of our lives. And in this, I define it not as our in a community, but our in this building. Our in this church, our in our families, our in my life. So when I look at all of this together, I realize that idolatry is something that has really invaded our lives. And these verses strike home hard. You say, Pastor, tell me, what, what is idolatry? Why is it such a prevalent thing? We don't have any little statues or little gods floating around in here in our homes. And what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I looked it up and the definition of idolatry in, um, in, in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And they gave two definitions. The first one says this, it's the worship of a physical object as a god. The worship of a physical object as a god. In other words, it's like a little statue. Put the pictures up on screen of what an idol looks like, guys. This, these pictures were taken in um, in India by a couple of our guys who recently went there on a missions trip. And if you look in these pictures, what you'll see is you'll see these little statues, these little idols that, that are formed and fashioned, and they're the type of things they would come and they would bow down to them, they would worship to them, they would pray to them, um, they they would they would basically offer their lives to these objects that were fashioned by hands. This is idolatry in its oldest representation. But Merriam-Webster had a secondary definition for idolatry that really strikes home to our American heart, to our life, to where we are as a people. Remember two weeks ago when we started this series called First Love, remember I I challenged you church to think of this this message is for me. I didn't say us because I wanted you to really remember I'm included in this. And if any of the messages in this series could be more for me, and you say the same thing for you, I don't know that it could be any more than this message. Because that second definition that Merriam-Webster gives for idolatry strikes deeply to the American heart. The second definition of idolatry, according to Merriam-Webster, says this, it's immoderate attachment or devotion to something. Immoderate attachment or devotion to something. You see, idolatry is not just a little statue formed as a a person or an image or an animal or or something like that. It's not just an idol made out of gold or silver or or stone or wood. It's not those kind of things. It's not just the idols that we read about in Scripture that they would would form, they would set them up in the high places and they would go and they would make the food sacrifices and the, the offering sacrifices. It's not just those. You see, an idol is anything in our lives that we give an immoderate attachment or devotion to. And when God woke me up with these verses, when I read these here a few months ago, it struck so hard and it cut so deep because I realize not just in the lives of all of us but even in my own life, we give our immoderate attention and attachment, we give our worship to so many American idols. The first set of pictures that I put up on the screen are Hindu idols in India. They say that in Hinduism, there are millions of gods. And if, Hinduism has millions of gods, then how many billions of gods does Americanism have? Does our culture have? Do our lives have? You see, because sometimes I think we're blinded to who and what our idols are, but they can come in many forms just like this. They can come in the form of selfish, self-centeredness, of of our personal success, of our materialism and the things that we strive to, to fill our lives with, the things that we give our lives over to, the entertainment, the devices, the objects that we seek to purchase, that we take pride in. Sometimes we even call them blessings from God. Yet our idols are curses because we have allowed them to consume our lives and we have lied to ourselves that they're even idols. We have lied to ourselves about what they are. And when we look around our lives and we say, God, would you open up my eyes to help me to realize where is the idolatry? Where, Where is the thing or what are the things? I am giving my life over to. And with that, we must all individually, each single one of us say, this message is for me. Because I don't think there's a single one of us in here innocent of the pervasive, destructive blinding idolatry that consumes our culture and our world. Let's read that scripture again. All mankind is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery in the time of their punishment, they will perish. You know, when I look at that opening phrase, that opening word, and I see what it, what it says, and that, that word, you know, oftentimes we call it, a, 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 in, in, when I was growing up, we called it a bad word. It was almost in lines with a cuss word that you would not say. We were not allowed to say stupid in the house I grew up in. I don't want my kids saying that on a, on a regular basis. Obviously, as they read scripture, we, we, we allow them that, but that's not a name that we call one another. That's not a thing that we use because it's an offensive term. You dive into this and you begin to study what this, this word means. And, and when Jeremiah, the prophet who spoke in, in the Hebrew language, the word that he used for that and originally wrote it in, and what you come to find out is this it's not a mistranslation, it's very much an accurate translation. Because we are so ignorant. We are so deprived of knowledge and understanding because of our idolatry. We are stupid. We are in the wrong. And I read this word and what I find out is that idea of stupid probably is the harshest way to say it, it's accurate way to say it, but it still does not describe the completeness of how strong of a language that Jeremiah is using to describe our behavior and our idolatry. You could expand that word stupid to include other words like dull-hearted, unreceptive, Stupefied. You see, because our idolatry, according to this passage and Jeremiah's message to us today, has left us in a dull hearted, unreceptive stupor, not even realizing what's going on around us. We think that we can perceive things, we think that we are aware of what is going on, we think that we have control over our lives, and yet, We have been lulled into a spiritual slumber. We don't even realize that we are asleep. We don't even realize that spiritually we have been made dull hearted. We have been made unreceptive. We've been put into a lull, a stupor. We've been put to sleep. So this morning, church, I would argue today that idolatry lulls people into an unreceptive stupor that deceives them into believing their life is full and good. Idolatry lulls people into an unreceptive stupor that deceives them, It deceives us into believing that their life is full and is good. When in reality, the idolatry has robbed and stolen and destroyed the good that God wants to put and desires to put into the lives of us, is creation, is children. I'd make three points this morning out of the text today. The first is this. Though idols have no life, they deceive us into believing they can give us life. Though idols have no life, they deceive us into believing that they can give us life. You see, here's here's the problem. The only thing that can give life is something that already has life. But our idols, they're lifeless. They're breathless. In fact, the prophet, he said this about him. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his molten images are deceitful. His molten images, his idols, his craft, his handiwork, they're deceitful. They deceive us because there's no breath in them. There's no life in them but they deceive us into believing that they can give life. In the old ancient days when idol worship was so much more prevalent in the world as we see it in scripture, not that it's more prevalent in the world than it is today because I believe idolatry is no more prevalent in the history of mankind in any particular moment and especially not today. It's at the height of all its history. Idolatry is all around us and everywhere. So church, in the old days, the the idol worshipers, the pagan religions, they would bow down to those idols. They would offer sacrifices to these idols. They would would make burnt offerings and and blood offerings and, and all kinds of manner of sacrifices. And they would worship in all kinds of heathen and pagan ways before these idols, believing this. Here's what they believed. They believed that if they did justice and right before that idol, that that idol would help them in their life. It would make their life better. It would make their life more fulfilled. They believed that different idols or different gods could do different things for them. They worshiped the sun god to shine over them. They would worship the gods that, that provided the, 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 the harvest or the grain or the fruit of the earth. They would worship them, believing that those gods could bring them food and drink to provide for their lives. They believed that there was idols that were over-reproductive um, uh, things. There's children in here, so we'll kind of leave it there. But they believed that these there was reproductive gods that would, would help them in fertility. And they worshiped and they bowed down to these, these lifeless, breathless, thoughtless idols, believing that they could somehow make their life better. And how, how foolish they were. And we would never do that, except we do. We bow down to the idols in our lives. They don't, they aren't fashioned and formed in the image of a little statue, a little person or an animal or a creature like that. But we give our worship and our attention and our life over to our idols, believing that somehow they can make our life better. Somehow they can improve our quality of life and do good to us when they are lifeless, they are breathless. They do not hold the ability or possess the ability to do anything for us, yet they deceive us so much. And these idols, our idolatry, the items, the materialism, the success, the the careers that we give ourselves to, the the, the things that we buy to give ourselves to and that that we consume our time, the objects, the interests, the passions that we have that become idols in our lives. We sell ourselves to them because they deceive us into believing that they can provide for us a better quality of life, a life more abundant. But I tell you the truth here, there is only one who can bring true life. There is only one who can bring the abundance of life, and that is Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus said, the thief is the one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And I'm pleading with you this morning, church, Your idols are lying to you. They're lying to us. They're deceiving us. There's only one who can make our life better and bring us abundant life, and that's Jesus Christ. But as long as we allow the idols to stay in our life next to Christ, they are stealing, killing, and destroying the abundant life that Christ has for you. They're robbing us. They're robbing us blind. And what's worse is we thank them for it. We shake their hand on the way out the door and say, thank you for stealing my life. And we have no idea what's going on. We are like the bank who gets robbed, but instead of calling for help, instead of triggering the alarm, We hand the money to the robber and we say, oh, thank you so much for coming in today. And they steal the one thing in this life that is most precious. That is the life that Jesus Christ provided for us on the cross. Not only are idols deceptive, but notice secondly, church, Though idols are worthless, we invest our life in them. We pour out our life into our idols. In the ancient world, they would take the most precious material that they have, and they, they, would, they would use that material to create their idols. In the ancient world, it was gold, it was silver, it was, it was brass, bronze, it was, it was different forms of metal. And if they didn't have that, they would take stone because it lasted and it, it didn't weather much. And it, was, it, would, it, would, it, would do, it would just stand up to time. And they would, if they didn't have that, they would take wood and they would carve it. They would spend not just wealth on this, but they would also spend their life crafting these idols. And they they would form them and they would then they would value them and they would hold them most precious because they're so good and valuable and, and, and and they for some reason somehow they thought that they could bring them wealth and they could bring them prosperity and so they would invest the one thing that you only have so much of your life. They would vest it into these idols. They would pour their life into them, and yet the idols are worthless. They have no value to them. They have no no help. They they, they cannot provide for you in any way. And they would bow down to the God of the harvest, and they would say, Oh, God of the harvest, feed us. He's worthless. He can't feed you. They would bow down to the, the God of war. God of war, help us to defeat the enemy. They have no power to help you defeat the enemy. They would bow down to the God of fertility, and there's the God of fertility, oh, bring us children and posterity, say. And they missed it. They have no power to help you with that. And they would pour their life out, invest everything they have into an absolute, complete failure. What they thought was valuable gold, silver, and precious stones was of the least valuable thing. You look at the ancient world and you think to yourself, in an agrarian type of a society, the most valuable things from a physical standpoint are the things that sustain your life. And gold has no ability to sustain your life, but yet somehow we think that our wealth does. Our idols are no different. As they prize the things that were most valuable and form them into idols, we too take the things that are most valuable in our life and we form them into idols. They don't look like statues, but they're all around us. Our statues have just changed images. They've just changed in their form, but they're the same thing. And we prize them and we live for them and we fight over them and we invest our life into them. And yet, as Jeremiah said, they are worthless, a work of mockery. Our idols have no value or no worth to them. They mock us because we invest our lives in them and then we end up losing our entire investment. It reminds me of last year, that, that, that cryptocurrency that failed, FTX. It was one of the, one of the best ones, they said was one of the top ones, and it was great for growth. And all these people poured their lives. They said over a million people were invested in this. And they, they invested and invested and invested in it, only to find out one day that it was a fraud and that their entire investment was eaten up. It was worthless. And not only was it worthless, but to add salt to the injury, it was such a public shaming and mockery that anybody who invested in was afraid, ashamed to even talk about it because they had lost everything they had invested in. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life and everything that you worked so hard for and everything that you invested in, you come to find out it was completely worthless. It had no value. It had no life. It had no meaning in it. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life and just as Jeremiah says, It is worthless, and it mocks you. Can you imagine being for the first time in all of your existence, standing before the one who gave his life for you, only to be able to present him with nothing other than that which would be burned up in the fire. Jesus said to us, don't store up for yourselves. Matthew six nineteen. do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Invest your life in what matters the most. Give your life to the thing that cannot be taken from you that cannot be robbed from you that cannot be destroyed out of your hands give your life to Jesus Christ and see what he'll do with it and yet we continue to invest in all of the wrong things when i was in banking one of the things that i learned really quickly was this one of the one of the top rules of investing in our world and, and, and really a good principle when it comes to financial investing was this. Do not put all of your eggs in one basket. That's a good principle if you've got a lot of money. Diversify it so that you don't lose all at once. Right? Just in case because things happen. I mean, think about the person that had a lot of money and put it all in FTX and then lost it all. That's a shame, it's terrible, it mocks him. And so, if you're investing money, do not put all of your eggs in one basket. But I'm here to tell you this, when it comes to your life, when it comes to what's most precious, when it comes to your money and how you use it for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you better put all your eggs in one basket because there's only one basket that will never fail and his name is Jesus Christ. You better put everything you got in him because I guarantee you this, when all of the accounting is done, everything that you invest outside of Christ will be stolen from you and amount to nothing. It will be burned up in the judgment. Look what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter three, if any man builds on the foundation That foundation is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And so, everything that you invest in the kingdom, eternal gold, silver, and precious stones, will be saved in the day of judgment. But I guarantee you this, everything you invest outside of the kingdom of God will be burned up in the fire. There's only two kinds of eternal investments. That which survives the fire and that which is burned up and destroyed. When it comes to the idolatry of our lives, when it comes to the wickedness that we pour ourselves out to. We need to repent, church, for the investment that we have made in that which is temporary, that which is deceitful, that which is a work of mockery. We need to repent for the fact that we have not given ourselves, as we read two weeks ago, to the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's everything you've got. We ought to be weeping. We ought to be weeping for the fact that we have invested so much in what matters so little. We poured our lives into that which is destroyed and ruined. You want to know why sometimes your life is miserable Why it seems like all the blessings in your life are empty. Why it seems like all the the things that you thought were from God to make your life happy and fulfilled and joyful. You want to know why you struggle to find true fulfillment and joy in your life. It's because your investments are in the wrong thing. You're pouring your life into the wrong thing. You're giving your life over to the wrong things. It's because the idols have consumed us. And we've even gone so far as to call many of the idols in our lives blessings from God, when in reality, they are the curses of our own sin. Church, I'm saying this to you. I told you two weeks ago. I'm not saying this to you. I'm not saying this at you. I'm saying this with you because this hurts your pastor too. Because I don't want to wake up myself one day before Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, here's all I have to give you. It's a fraction of what you've given me. I don't want to wake up and stand before Christ and watch all that I gave my life to and all that I invested my life in, watch it all burn away in the eternal fire of judgment and only see such a small thing come out as reward for his kingdom. I'm saying this to you because when I hit this, when I saw this three, four months ago, or whenever it was, it hurt, it bothered me, it cut me, it drove into my very heart and soul, and I could not get it out of my mind. I could not get it off of my heart. It bothered me. You say, preacher, you're stepping on my toes today. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry because God stepped on my toes first. I'm not sorry because I know how much it hurts, but I know how necessary it is. I'm begging you. Please listen up. What are you investing your life in? These idols, they're deceitful, they're worship, or they're worthless. But then listen number three. Though we have pride in our idols, they only bring us shame and punishment. They only bring us shame and punishment. Look at what the, the verses said at the first verse we read: every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. And then he wraps it up in that phrase that says, in the time of their punishment, they will perish. We take so much pride in the things that we have. We we look at those who have more than us, and we say, oh my goodness, they're so blessed by God. When the quantity of our wealth on this world is not even a remotely- a comparison to the way that God has blessed us. I walked amongst those who were in extreme what we would classify extreme poverty in Honduras. And those that had joy had nothing to do with how much or how little they had, and those who did not have joy down there had nothing to do with how much or how little they had. Because joy does not come from our possessions does not come from our idols. So why do we take pride in them when they only bring us judgment and shame? Why do we take pride in, in our idols when they only humiliate us before God? We think they're going to lift us up in status, but all they do is they just run us into the ground. You know, the key to understanding a large part of, of, of these two verses Jeremiah 51, and understanding their counterpart in Jeremiah chapter 10, the same verses. Key to understanding this is recognizing I'm the goldsmith. I'm the goldsmith. We are the goldsmiths. And the reason that the goldsmith is going to be punished and put to shame by his idols is because he's taken so much pride and care for them all the days of his life. But at the end of the life, he's going to find out that all they do is going to bring destruction and judgment. He realizes that he invested his entire life and built his entire life around the pride of his own hands, his own works, and not around the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. The goldsmith might have much to show in this world that passes away, but he has nothing to show in the world to come. Everything he's built his life towards will all amount to nothing. Let me say it again, church. We are the goldsmiths in this story of our own idolatry. We are the goldsmiths in the story of our own idolatry. If the word is cutting quick to you tonight, then turn it on yourself like I have with me and personalize that. I am the goldsmith in the story of my own idolatry. I am the one who's fashioned the idols that will put me to shame and lead to my judgment. I'm the goldsmith who has invested my life in what will perish and taken pride in the work of my own hands when it was Christ and Christ alone who did it all. In fact, our salvation was bought by Jesus Christ in his work on the cross. Why? For the specific reason that it would not be of our works lest any of us should boast. It's by grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, not of works, not of works, so that none of us can boast, so that none of us can lift up ourselves in fact, Paul wrote this. He said, may it never be that I would boast. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May there only be one thing that I would ever boast in. That be the cross of Jesus Christ Here's what's going to happen. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. It's that most holy time in church life, that sacred time, where we observe the body and the blood of Christ that was made the sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Some of these young men, they get to observe the Lord's Supper for the very first time. Because we believe that only the believer, only the, the one who has truly been redeemed and accepted Christ as their Savior ought and can observe the Lord's Supper. And as we do that this morning, let's remember, he died to take away the idols and to free us of the idols in our lives. And I suspect a hope My prayer for weeks has been this. As you observe the Lord's Supper, that the word of God would cut deep into your heart to cut out that which needs to be removed. As Paul described it, the the circumcision, the spiritual circumcision of our heart, where God would remove that which he does not want in our lives. And my hope is that as we observe the Lord's Supper today, we focus on the blood and the body of Christ. Yes, what God does in our heart will hurt, but we know that he's doing it for our good because he loves us. And following the Lord's Supper, we'll have our time of invitation. During the time of invitation, I know we do this every week, and I know what happens is is when we do the same thing every week, it becomes commonplace and it becomes normal. But this this morning, please, 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 I beg of you, please not take the invitation lightly today. Do do not not pass over the invitation today, because what's going to happen is this. My, My fear is that many of us for a moment will consider the invitation, and for a moment we will consider the great, great repentance that needs to be done in our lives. But as soon as we walk through the doors at the back, our attention will be diverted, and the idols will win once again. The idols will, 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 will remind us or deceive us once again. And we'll go back to our life as usual. And for many of us, we'll, we'll leave this place and before the sun sets today, we will bow and worship once again to the idols in our lives. We will bow and worship once again to those breathless, lifeless, worthless idols before the sun even sets. I'd be foolish, I guess, to imagine that in just 35 minutes I could convince you of the idolatry in your life, the way that God has in my life over the last several weeks, going on months, as he has worked this passage over and over and over and over in my life. So maybe the best thing to do is to offer an invitation that supersedes the few minutes that you might take at this altar today. Maybe the best thing to do is to say, would you consider this as you leave here, day in and day out? My plea is that as you read Scripture daily and you pray daily, that God would open your eyes to the idolatry in your life and turn you back to Him, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. We're gonna pray together. I ask the men that are helping to serve the Lord's Supper, go ahead and quietly make your way up to the front as I pray. Heavenly Father, don't know what to say, but we're sorry. We've done wrong. Turn our hearts back to you. May we be worthy. Purchases, the sacrifice and the cost that you paid for our redemption. Christ's name we pray. Amen.